Zechariah chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 10. Zechariah chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 10. Isn't it great that we get to gather together this morning and study God's Word? Amen. How many of you enjoyed that ball game last night? Amen. That was so much fun. I loved it. It was great. This is so much better. Amen. So let's, uh, let's focus on the Word of God, focus on the message, ask God to speak to us through it. And uh, just as a part of our worship, Lord, what do you have for me today? And I've got to tell you, this is one of those messages today that is very convicting to me. Um, and you'll see why here in a few minutes. But um, I think that God has something special for us today from his word. Let's go to the Lord now. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to study your word. And Lord, we're going to look at the life of an individual. And from this person, we're going to learn so many things about ourselves. So, Father, I pray that you'll help us today. Lord, and I pray that you are ultimately glorified by all that's done. In Jesus' name, amen. Look with me in Zechariah chapter 11. In verse 12, And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized out of them. And I took the thirty pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Now, of course, we understand now that this is a prophecy of who? Judas. Judas. Now, how many of you, when you were looking at the names that you were going to choose for your children, how many of you had Judas on the list? It's, it's right there behind Hitler. Why? Because he was the betrayer of our Lord. I want us to look at, at Judas and who he is. Then, Lord willing, tonight, I want to show you how Judas is a type of the Antichrist in the Scriptures. And, of course, we see that because the next character spoken of in Zechariah chapter 11 is Antichrist. So that's for later on this evening. But I want us to get a little bit better understanding of who Judas was and what it means to be an apostate. And it's interesting to me that my thinking of Judas has been shaped, I didn't realize how long ago this was, from a sermon I heard from John MacArthur. And so this week I looked up that sermon, and I didn't realize how much of my, oh, just the way that I would describe him, came from that sermon. Isn't it funny? How many of you ever had something that stuck with you like that? So I looked it up when that sermon was preached, 1981. How many of you were not born yet in 1981? I hate all of you. No. And so this morning, quite a few of the thoughts in this message, I actually, I decided to actually pull from that sermon. And it's interesting, I was obviously less theologically astute at that point in my life and so there's some glaring, if you go and listen to that sermon, there's some glaring Calvinism in it. But the comments that he makes about uh, uh, Judas, many of them are, are really profound. And then there's another that you all know of my favorite preachers from the past. His name is Alexander McLaren. 
And so I have some comments that, again, that have been in my mind. I looked up my sermon on Judas where I had taken some information from McLaren, and that was 19 years ago. And so some of the statements that I've made over and over again, it's interesting, they came from those two guys. And so today I'm going to try and not be a plagiarizer and let you know where I learned some of this stuff. But I want to read something to you from, uh, from MacArthur. But first, so keep your place in Zechariah. But first, let's go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, so this is Jesus, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. It's so interesting, this, and this has been all of my life. It's always sad to see that name in the list of the apostles. Do you all agree with me on that? It's just sad to see his name. Let me read to you what uh, MacArthur says. And he, he, he's been doing a series on, he was doing a series on the, the 12 apostles. And this is what he writes. But one of them stands out against the background of the others. He is isolated. He is lonely. He is alone. His name is Judas Iscariot. He is a horrifying, colossal misfit. He is the epitome of disaster. He is the vilest, wickedest man the Bible knows anything about. It's pretty interesting. I read that to Laura this morning, and she asked this question, was he always that, or is that how he is described after his betrayal? The only information we have about him is information that was written after his betrayal. Now, I didn't look up every passage, but almost every passage that deals with Judas mentions his betrayal. That's how he's identified in the text over and over and over again. A couple of interesting thoughts about this. He's always listed last in the lists of the apostles. Isn't that interesting? He's always listed last. Almost every time he's identified as the betrayer of Christ. And this is pretty interesting. We don't know anything about his calling. You know, we have accounts of the other apostles being called to follow Jesus. We don't have any account of Judas's call, but it says that he called these 12 disciples and he sent them out, these 12 apostles. And I wonder if he just kind of showed up one day. I want us to learn some things about him, and we need to just go through the Bible and learn some of these things. Uh, the first thing that I want you to know that's really important, go to John chapter 6 and verse 70. And we're going to be going through the scriptures again this morning, as we always do. If you don't have a Bible with you, look, in front of, look under the chair in front of you. There should be a Bible there for you to use. John chapter 6, and look at verse 70. You know, let's back up a little bit. Look at verse 66. 
John chapter 6 and verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. It's an interesting item of history, extract of history, that most of Jesus Christ's disciples left him. They, they did not follow. We have more people at Grace Baptist today than were gathered in the upper room after Jesus Christ's resurrection. Most of his disciples left him. Judas didn't. Judas stayed all the way to the end. Isn't that interesting? And what happened with Jesus when he started asking people to do things that made them uncomfortable, that's when they left. It's interesting, isn't it? And ultimately, when Jesus asked them, his disciples, to make him their everything, when he asked for a total commitment, that's when they left. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, as a person who works in ministry, it's always interesting that you'll have people that attend for a long time. And then because they are here, you believe that they're plugged in and are on the same page and are wanting to move ahead. And so you ask them to do something and you never see them again. How many of you find that interesting? Y'all find that interesting? That's the nature of mankind. You see, Judas is a picture of selfishness. See, he was not interested in Jesus. He was interested in the kingdom, in the kingdom that Jesus was going to establish. He wasn't interested in the Savior. He wasn't interested in the kingdom for the, the spiritual aspect of the kingdom's sake. He was in it for his own personal gain. And, you know, we live in a generation where people come to church based on what's in it for them. Do you think I'm right on that? Man, if the music isn't just right, I'm not going to that church. If they don't have something for my kids, I'm not going to that church. When honestly, if all we ever did was come into a room and open up the Bible and teach God's word and, and interact with each other and love each other, that's enough. That's enough. But we live in this. Now, let me just say this. Man, I loved the music today. <laughs> I love the music. I love it. I enjoy that. And I can't walk into this, build, into this new auditorium without smiling. I, I, I walk up and down the hall, all the, the remodeled hallway, and I'll just stand there and look down, at, and I love it. So I, I love all the stuff, right? I love the soft chairs. I, I love the stuff. I love the sound system and all of those things. I enjoy that stuff, but none of that is necessary for worship. I will say this, I don't know that you can have proper worship without music because that's a part of scriptural worship. Uh, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making a melody in your heart to the Lord. So that, that is a big part of it. But it's interesting how Judas was interested in what was in it for him. Now let's look at the, let's look at the text. These disciples left, but Judas stayed. Verse 67, Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And that's a point, you might want to mark that in your Bible, the words of eternal life. Only Jesus has those. 
Now, he's given them to us, and we get to give them to other people. But they come from Jesus, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So God gave us his words, and in those words are eternal life. It's a really amazing thing. Verse 69, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. So now let me ask you a question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of of the living God. Now remember, people went away from him who wanted what he had to offer, but they were not interested in Jesus. They left. They left. Let's not be those people. Amen. Let's not be those people. But then he gives this statement that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 70. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. So it's interesting. This is where we have Judas introduced in the Gospel of John, and again the indictment against Judas. But I want you to understand is that Jesus knew who this was from the start. He was not surprised. By the betrayal of Judas. And in each and every one of us, God knows our heart. Jesus Christ knows exactly what's in us. Why are you here today? Why are you following Jesus? Is it so your life can be better or is it because he's worthy to follow? Now, here's the simple fact of the matter. If you follow him, your life will be better. That's the good news. Well, possibly, unless you live in a country that will kill you for it. But in the long run... It is much better for us to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and acknowledge him as our Savior. But that's a very childish. Our children love us because of what we give them and what we do for them. Ultimately, we want them to love us because of who we are, not because of what we do for them. That's a more mature love. Amen? That's a more mature love. That's what God wants for us. We love him because he first loved us. He taught us how to love. He gave us everything. And we love him and each other because of that. Are you with me on this? Okay. Now, go with me to Psalm 41. God knew Jesus as God knew all of this was going to happen. Remember, if God was going to write a book... It would be a supernatural book, and he would, I, we would know that it was a supernatural book because of the prophecies that he would write in them, or in it. Psalm 41. Look at verse 9. Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. This is a prophecy of what was going to happen with Judas. And Judas did eat of his bread and he was his friend. And we're going to, you might want to mark that my own, my own familiar friend, my own familiar friend. We're going to see that again in a minute. Go to Psalm 55. So you know what's going on in the message. We're just going to look through some of these verses to learn some things about Judas. And then we're going to kind of bring it down to some practical area, lessons from the life of Judas. So look at Psalm 55 and look at verse 12. For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it, neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then would I have hid myself from him. Look at verse 20. 
He hath put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him. He hath broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn swords. You see, Judas pretended that he loved Jesus, but then he betrayed him. Look at John chapter 17. Jesus knew exactly what was going on. John chapter 17 and verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost. Okay, this is Jesus praying for his disciples. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. This is Jesus Christ identifying Judas as the son of perdition. You know, the Antichrist is identified as the son of perdition. So that's, how, that's why we believe that, that Judas is a type of the Antichrist. But notice what it says about him. He's lost. He's lost. Did you know that all of us are lost until we come to Jesus? That's the, you're either lost or you're, we say found. No, no, you're lost or you're saved. You're lost or you're saved. Judas was not saved. He was lost. He, did, he never lost his salvation. He was never saved in the first place. He never came to Jesus as his Christ as his Messiah. He came to him as his meal ticket. Wow. Wow. And he's called the son of perdition. In another passage, Jesus says it'd be better for that man if he'd never been born. It's an amazing thing. Look at Luke chapter 22. Verse 21. So Jesus has instituted the Last Supper, if you look at verse 19. And he took the bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Now, did he rip off a chunk of his arm or did he hand him a piece of bread? What, what, what did he give him? Bread. Very important that you see it. Then, then it says, um, verse 20, likewise also the cup. Now, it never says the wine, just so you know. It always says the cup. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. So now he's instituted the Lord's Supper, and what an amazing thing that is. Look at verse 21. There's that contrasting conjunction, this beautiful thing that he has just instituted. And now there's a but. Behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. Woe unto that man. Do you understand that Jesus Christ is warning Judas right here? We have a wonderful, gracious, and loving Savior. And I want to tell you again, Jesus knows absolutely everything that is in your heart. He knows everything that is in your heart, and he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loves you, 
in spite of your sin. He loves me in spite. He knows everything that's in my mind. He knows everything that's in my heart. And through his word and through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He calls me unto himself. And he had done that for Judas. And he's warning Judas in this spot. But notice something that it says in verse 22. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. You see, it was determined from the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ would be the Lamb that is slain for you and for me. That that was God's plan. It's really important that we understand that. So whether Judas betrayed him or not, someone would have betrayed him. Now listen, very important, but it didn't have to be Judas. It didn't have to be Judas. Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. The death of Christ was not a tragedy. It was an accomplishment, right? But notice, that doesn't absolve them of their responsibility, Look at what it says. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. So here, this was God determined from the foundation of the world. Before he said, let there be light, it was determined that he would die for us. It's an amazing thing. And yet, these people are accountable for what they did. They weren't determined to do it. They weren't predestined to do it. They were given their own free will. Jesus was going to die. He was going to be killed, but those people didn't have to kill him. Are you with me? Judas betrayed Jesus, and he is called the son of perdition, but he didn't have to be that. He didn't have to be that. Okay, so now what can we learn? Let's learn some lessons. Uh, Go to John chapter 13. John chapter chapter 13, look at verse 21. This is a very interesting verse. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. One of you shall betray me. Now, what's so interesting is, what did all disciples start doing? Is it I? Is it I? Am I the one that's going to betray you? You see, Judas is the picture. He is the perfect picture in the Bible of the hypocrite. They thought, the other disciples thought Judas was one of them. When Jesus said, one of you will betray me, they didn't all look at Judas. They said, it's me. It's me. And I wonder here among us, among our friends, is there anyone here that we think is on board, that we think loves the Lord just the way that we do, but they're just here because it's a cool place to be? Now, let's not be that. Wouldn't it be horrible if that was you? And here's what we all ought to do, the same way that the disciples did. Is that me? 
Am I here because of Jesus or am I here because of my friends? Am I here because of Jesus or am I here because of my parents? Am I here because of Jesus or am I here because I think I have to go to church? What's what's going on in my heart? Am I a hypocrite? Lessons from the life of Judas. It's interesting. Look at what it says. This, This verse strikes me, verse 21. When Jesus had thus said he was troubled in spirit, he was... He knew this. You understand he knew this from the foundation of the world that this was going to happen. And it still troubled his spirit. Why? Because he loved Judas. He loved him. So number one, Judas was a fantastic hypocrite. Number two, Judas is the world's greatest example of lost opportunity. Did you hear what I just said? He's the world's greatest example of lost opportunity. No man ever, ever, ever is a greater tragedy than Judas it's so interesting. He had the opportunity of walking with Jesus for three and a half years, of being actually in the presence of that beauty and that perfection and that love. He had the opportunity to know the creator of the world face to face. What an amazing opportunity he had. But he is the greatest picture of failed opportunity. Lost opportunity. Listen to what MacArthur said. He said, those who continue to miss the opportunity are in the line of Judas. He stood in the fairest surroundings the world has ever known, and he's damned forever. Listen, he was content to associate nothing more. You know, there are people who hang around Jesus. They hang around Christianity. They enjoy the music. They enjoy the camaraderie. They enjoy the fellowship. They enjoy the trappings of Christianity, but they never actually give their life to Jesus Christ. They're content to associate, but they'll be lost forever. That's sobering, isn't it? It is sobering. So he's the... Fantastic hypocrite. He's the greatest example of lost opportunity. But then he's also the greatest example of wasted privilege. He wanted money. He wanted riches. He wanted possessions. He could have possessed the universe forever, but he sold it for a pittance. God offers you and every soul the riches of eternity. This again is from MacArthur. What kind of stupid bargain are you making by saying no to that? To say yes to some pittance that will burn in the end of this earth. So he's a fantastic hypocrite. He's the world's greatest example of lost opportunity and wasted privilege. But he's also the greatest illustration of selfishness and the truth that the love of money is the root of evil. He loved money so much that he actually sold the living God. Did you hear what I just said? He loved money so much that he actually sold the living God. That's how far greed can take a man. He is a monument to the destructiveness and the damnation of greed. And I want you all to think about this. There are people that for greed, for greed's sake, they have their children take jobs that keep them out of church and keep them away from the Lord and keep them away from, from youth activities and from interaction with God. And they, they immerse them in the world through, through public school or sports or, or uh, you know, farming activities or whatever it is that you choose. They're immersed. Now, is there anything wrong 
with sports or farming activities or any of those things. No, not a thing in the world wrong with that. But when those things take the place of having your children under the teaching of the Word of God, what you're saying is there are things that are more important than that in the life of my child. Learning how to birth a calf is not as important as understanding that Jesus Christ is our all in all. He's everything. Do you see that greed for money or greed for acclaim or greed for acceptance in the culture or the desire to have our children live out what we couldn't do? All of that put before the gathering of yourselves together and having your kids getting the word of God in them, the word of God in them, the word of God in them, the word of God in them. And then we wonder why they're affected by the world. You see, Judas is a picture. He's the picture of selfishness. He, he was around. He was willing to associate with Jesus. He was willing to associate with God's people, but he never bought in. It was all about him. It was all about his gain. It was everything was for the flesh. Not only that. So this is so amazing. He's the greatest example in the history of the world of the forbearing, patient love of God. It's so amazing. Only God could have known what he knew and tolerated that, that, that man's presence for that long. And what did he call him? Even when he was betraying him, it's so interesting. That, you know, the Bible, Jesus said, it's the one that I give the sop to. Remember the Bible says that? It's the one that I give the sop to. That was a sign of honor. When you, you'd, you'd take the piece of bread and you'd dip it into this mixture of nuts and fruit and, and you would hand that to the, the key person, to the person you wanted to honor. That's who, when Jesus says, love your enemies, he means it. He gave that to Judas. What did Jesus say to Judas when he was betrayed? When Judas came up to him, he said, friend? And of course, that's the fulfillment of the prophecy. By my own friend. By my own friend. You see, that is a picture. It's a beautiful illustration of the forgiveness, the patience, the forbearance of God. It's unbelievable. But not only that, Judas is an amazing element in who Jesus Christ is. Why? Because the Bible says that our high priest was made perfect through suffering. And so when Jesus Christ loved his enemy, when he was a friend to the one who would betray him, and then the Bible says we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. When you're betrayed, when someone you trust lifts up their heel against you, when you're wounded, when you're hurt, Jesus Christ understands. He is our great high priest. He is the perfect example of what it, Judas is the perfect example of betrayal, but Jesus Christ is the perfect example of forbearance, patience, and love. Well, he loves us. He loves us, and he understands what it means to be betrayed. Then lastly, 
This is such an interesting thing, and it follows up on the question that Laura asked this morning. Remember, I read to you MacArthur's words at the beginning, but one stands out against the background of the others. He is isolated. He is lonely. He is alone. His name is Judas Iscariot. He is a horrifying, colossal misfit. He is the epitome of disaster. He is the vilest, wickedest man the Bible knows anything about, and he is our subject this morning. It's very interesting. That is how he is known forever. Did you hear what I just said? That is how he is known forever. But Judas was not lost because he betrayed Jesus. Listen. He was lost because he betrayed Jesus and never asked for forgiveness. This statement is from McLaren, and it's, it's so striking to me. Listen. The difference between one traitor who betrayed him and one traitor who denied him was that when the one had wept bitterly, thought of a master who loved him, and the other went out and hanged himself. You see, Peter was also a traitor. But when we think of Peter, we think of the one who walked on the water. We think of the one who preached at Pentecost. We think of the one who died for Jesus. Why? Because he asked for forgiveness. You see, he's not lost because he betrayed him. He's lost because he betrayed him and never asked for forgiveness. Again, McLaren, it is not possible to think blackly enough about our own sins. Did you hear that? It is not possible to think blackly enough about our own sins, but it is equally impossible to think wonderfully enough about God's grace and the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. There is no penitence or remorse great enough for the smallest transgression, but neither is there a transgression great enough that the blood of Christ cannot make it clean. And we can have it for the asking. Listen. When Judas died without hope and without pardon, it was not because his crime was too great for forgiveness, but because the forgiveness and pardon had never been asked for. <laughs> Don't raise your hand on this. Have you ever denied Christ? Have you ever denied him by maybe entering into sin that you knew you shouldn't have or in a conversation where his name is being reviled and we don't defend him? And I think all of us, I think we probably all say that we have. You see, the issue is not us. The issue is him. Judas is an amazing picture of a hypocrite. He's an amazing picture of lost opportunity. He's an amazing, he's amazing and pictured. Uh, he's an amazing picture of wasted privilege. But he's also the amazing picture of God's patience and forbearance. Now, be honest. How many of you think that if he could be patient with Judas, he can be patient with you? I love it. He just loves us. The, uh, the Bible says he knows my frame that I am but dust. He knows my weaknesses and he loves me anyway. Now, I'm born again. I have come to Jesus Christ, and I've acknowledged him as my Savior and Lord. I know that I can't save myself. Man, I'm nothing. 
But Jesus Christ saved me. I love that. And yet I still get under the weight of my own sin. What do I have to do? I have to remember the patience and forbearance of God and that I do have a high priest that has passed into the heavenlies. Jesus Christ, the righteous, the Bible says. And he's coming back. Well, how about you? I wonder if there's someone here that would say, I am one of those people that is associated with Jesus and his people, but I am not truly a follower of Christ. And today I need to become a follower of Christ. I need to give him my all. I need to say, Jesus, you are my savior. I can't save myself. Please take my sin away once and for all. Forgive me. Be my savior. I want to be born again. It's amazing. I remember when Jacob got saved. Was he a senior in high school when he got saved? Junior or senior. And it was hard for him to admit it because he's the preacher's kid and everybody knows him. And he said this, how foolish would it have been for me to go to hell because I was embarrassed to say I needed to be saved. There's some of you here today, you've been in this church, you've been in a church, you've been around Christianity your whole life, and you're just too proud to say, you know what, I've never, I need to be saved. I need that to happen today. Make today the day. We won't look down on you. We'll cry with you. We'll celebrate with you. You might be here. This is the first time you've ever really heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is your first time. And you realize, yeah, I know that I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus Christ is God and that he died on the cross and he paid for my sin. And he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead the third day. And I've known those facts, but I've never asked him to save me. I've never realized that he did that just for me. I need to be saved. Today could be the day where you get to experience the patience and forbearance of Jesus Christ. Because he says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus wants to take your sin and give you his righteousness. That doesn't seem like a fair deal for him, does it? It'd be like me bringing a pile of garbage and someone giving me diamonds for that. That's, that's what Jesus is doing. Take him your sin. He'll give you his righteousness. And it's really important that you understand this. You don't need to eat any bread or drink any wine. You don't need to get baptized. You don't need to come to church. You don't need to give any money. You need to come to Jesus. You need to come to Jesus. Amen? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. We don't deserve it. And Lord, it's amazing how convicting the life of Judas is to me.